0: Good morning, Mission View Church. Are you having a good summer yet? It's, it finally got warm in Ohio. I want you to know that Lee and I are really thankful to you because you guys give us a salary. You allow us to go on vacation through the elders. And my wife and I just got back from Jamaica for a week. And so it was beautiful there. And it was nice to get some sunshine. Um, some people have asked about... Just my physical condition. In two weeks, I'm going to give an update. Uh, this week, I'll be getting uh, a bone and other kind of CT scans. And so I'm going to be getting an update myself from the doctors. And so about two weeks, actually on Father's Day, I'm going to give a, a little report of uh, what the status is. So, uh, so just bear with us. Uh, bear with us in that and continue to pray. We thank you for that. Um, I want us to think about the idea of a team. Now, we all know that this time of the year, for, uh, for those of you that are not sports fans, I'm sorry, you're just gonna have to endure this for just a little bit, but you can't avoid it. You know this is going on right now. You see it every day, okay? You hear about you know, how bad the Cavs lost last, you know on Thursday, but we're not done with this series. So, what we do know, though, is in order to put together a championship team, you have to try to get the best of the best. Now I think some would accuse the Golden State Warriors for stacking the deck in off season, but in all reality, both teams have done all that they can to shore up their weaknesses, and what I like is it makes for great basketball in June. And especially since this is the third year in a row that the Cavs and the Warriors are going at it together. Now what I want you to think about, though, is I want you to think about what it means to be an all-star team. Because I believe that God wants an all-star team in Mission View Church, and he had an all-star team in the advancement of the gospel back in the first century. You see, in the first century, God had his franchise player. I don't know if you knew that. He had a franchise player. His name was the Apostle Paul. And God had given the Apostle Paul this message of how the gospel was to advance. Now I'm using that word gospel, just keep in mind that it means good news. It's how the good news about what Jesus did for us is to go out. And so God had given him a road map of what that would look like. But he also brought different people on his team. And by the time he has his second missionary journey, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16, there are certain individuals that start to come onto this team. There's a guy named Timothy. We'll call him the the point guard. uh, We got Titus, who is uh, the the power forward. And we got the Philippian believers that were also a part of this all-star team. But here's the deal. What they were playing wasn't a game. Actually, they weren't playing at all. What they were doing was God's mission. And that was important. And it's important that we see that distinction. But what we do want to see is that God wanted the best. He wanted those that were passionate about Jesus to go out and share the good news of Christ. He still wants people that are passionate about him, that love Jesus that you could be his representation to this world that we live in. You see, God assembled this, innocence a, a fellowship. He forged a fellowship back then for this advancement of the gospel, and he forges a fellowship today. Why does he forge a fellowship for the gospel? The fact is, as we just sang, there is a, we have a God who loves to take people out of the darkness and place us into the light. But what's interesting is he uses you and I in our stories, in our life, in our example to get the gospel message of the good news of Christ to people that are in the darkness, that are in in a place of despair or in a place of hopelessness. And God uses our example to lead people into a loving relationship with Christ. The reality is there are people that are going into a Christless eternity all around us in our community. And what God has done is he's given us all the tools in this gospel message. He did the heavy lifting. He did all the heavy work. He sent his only begotten son to die on a cross. He bled and died after he lived a perfect life and said, I am the way, truth, and life. Anyone who wants to get to the Father must go through me. He died on that cross and then he was buried and then he rose again to show that he was victorious. Nobody else in all of history has ever done that. Jesus did all the heavy work. And what's interesting is the blood that came from the cross what is is really the, the is really the tool which God uses to unlock the prison door that people are held into. We are in the prison of our own sin, and he uses his blood to allow us to exit out of that prison that we are in. Do you remember when he released you? Do you remember when you believed on the resurrection and that gave you the ability to walk out of this cage? To walk out of captivity? It's a beautiful thing that God has done for us. Now here's the deal. He has taken all of this, all that he has done, and presented it in a beautiful gift. And he says, here, now it's your turn. It's your responsibility. You church. See, in the book of Philippians in chapter 1, we're going to see this word gospel over and over and over again. And so we see that as a vital sign for the church, is that we are heavily invested into the gospel. So here's my question for us as a church. Are you willing to join God's mission? Are you willing to do that? And I know many, many people here are doing that. But I want you to think about this. If you remove the gospel message from the church, you remove our, our vision. You remove our, our mission You remove our purpose for even existing. If you remove the gospel from the church, the good news, then all you have is a social club. We have people just gathering together on Sunday morning. We're making each other feel really good about each other. I grew up in a church like that. I don't need that. We need something much more. See, the reality is until every man, woman, and child within our community has had an opportunity to hear, see, feel, and respond to the gospel, our mission is not complete. See, we need to have the same passion that the Apostle Paul had in writing to the church, the early church, the Philippians, and being renewed in what this gospel is all about. So for the first chapter, we're gonna look at the Gospel. This week, we're gonna look at just this idea of what it means to be in the fellowship of the Gospel. Next week, we're gonna look at how the Gospel is to advance. And on Father's Day, we're gonna look about, look at how we are to walk worthy of the Gospel. Let's pray that God would just work in our hearts that we might be a people that are truly passionate about the good news of Christ. Lord Jesus, it is so awesome that we have this opportunity to worship you, to lift our hands, to clap, and just to celebrate who you are and how great you are. But Lord, your greatness was demonstrated on the cross. It was demonstrated in the gospel message that you have said to us, to all believers, that we are to go and to make disciples. So Lord, help our minds and hearts to be attentive to how we should do that. Because Lord, I fear that many churches have lost the passion for the gospel. We stay within the four corners of our church and we do things inwardly for us. And we need to do those things. We need to be equipped. But Lord, help us never to forget the marching orders of what we are to do individually as we live out our lives, and as a church, as we do it together. So I pray that you would put that passion within our hearts. Pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1. We're going to look at 1 to 11. The first thing I want us to see is the team that Paul addresses in Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul starts off by saying Paul and Timothy. He starts identifying his team members. Obviously, he was a part of that team. And if you want to learn about Timothy and how he came to faith, read uh, uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5, and you'll see that Timothy actually was led to Christ by Paul. Now, what's interesting about Timothy is that as soon as he gets saved, as soon as he understands that he has to repent and believe, he immediately joins the mission. He says, Paul, I'm going with you. I want, to be, I want on-the-job training on how I should represent you. And so he goes on the mission project right with the Apostle Paul. And so soon, we'll see them in Philippi. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you also read in Acts chapter 16, you will see a guy named Silas. Silas joins his team, and he was instrumental as well. Now, as they began the church, as they were on their second missionary journey, they go to this place called Philippi, and immediately, these, uh, these, Paul and Silas and, and Timothy meet Lydia, who is a very rich businesswoman who deals with, uh, with purple garments. And we see in this passage that she gives her life to Christ. And then we see as events unfold that uh, Paul and uh, Silas are thrown in jail for uh, kind of ruining the business of somebody who did fortune telling. And so he had, they had cast out the demons out of the fortune telling slave girl. And that got that guy mad so they had him thrown in jail. And so Paul and Silas are in jail. They're singing God's praises for the privilege of representing him. Woo-hoo, this is awesome. We could be in jail together. Now, I don't know too many people that sing in jail. But Paul and Silas were different because they had They had a purpose. They knew what God was doing. Well, God was in control. There was an earthquake, and the the jailer was afraid everyone was going to get out, and he was going to kill himself. And then all of a sudden, Paul says, nope, here, we're here. So uh, he, he says, how can I give my life to the Lord? Evidently, there was a witness in the singing of the songs. And we see that the Philippian jailer comes to faith in Christ. He and his oikos. That's the Greek word that's used for his household. Now, household wasn't just mom and dad and the kids. It was mom, dad, the kids, the grandparents, the brothers, the sisters, the people that would have been in that kind of communal living. And they all heard the gospel. And what's beautiful, it was that this was the formation of this church. Now, what Paul does is he will visit this church two different times. And as he comes back, The numbers are growing and growing and growing and growing. How is it possible that it grows like that? Because the nucleus of believers are so passionately in love with Jesus that they have to tell their friends, they have to live it out among their neighbors, and they have to show the love of Christ. And we see more and more people coming to faith in Christ. And eventually, Paul is able to appoint leaders in that church. And that's why Paul greets the overseers and the deacons. Remember a couple weeks ago I said what an overseer is? A guardian. A guardian. Somebody that has the big picture over the church. They are the spiritual overseers and the deacons were those that were servants within the church. So this is the team. Paul says in his greeting in verse 2, Grace to you uh, and peace from God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul has this in a lot of his writings. But understand that this is actually a summary of the gospel. It's a summary of the gospel because think about it. In order for peace to come, what has to happen first? You have to understand the grace of Christ. You have to personally receive Christ as your Savior. You have to understand that grace. And then the peace can come. And so this is what happens with this uh, this team. This is how it's developed. So the question in application for us to think about is are we committed to God's gospel team? I want us to think about that seriously on a practical level. Everybody receive this card. Hold up this card if you got it. Okay, here we go. We got this card. It's love your neighbor. Now this isn't like a campaign or anything. We're not going to have confetti or balloons or anything like that. It's simply an application to what we're talking about. And what I want you to do is I would just want you to pray about 10 individuals that you would put on these slots that you are going to pray for this summer, specifically this summer. And maybe you would reach out, and maybe it's a neighbor, and uh, you'll borrow our trailer. By the way, we have a ministry trailer. Anybody can sign it out. It has an inflatable. It has popcorn. It has a VBS material in it, and if you want to do something in your neighborhood, get your community group to help you, you can do that. We'll deliver it. We'll help you out. We'll want to give you the tools. So you got that ministry trailer. Maybe it's to reach some of the neighbors. Maybe you would invite the neighbor kids to the VBS that's going to be happening at the end of June, the 27th 28th and 29th. We'd encourage you to do that. So whatever way but it's, uh, you want to do that, it starts with prayer. My friends, you're going to see in this chapter that Paul prays a lot. It starts with the power of prayer. And then when we pray for people, these are people that are on our minds and hearts all the time. Well, let's take this team and go beyond the team. It's just not a group of people. They are in a fellowship, and let's understand what that means. Take a look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion all the day of Christ, of Jesus Christ. Now, as Paul starts out writing this, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. Now you think, well, Paul's kind of like being reflective here. Well, the reason he's being reflective is he can't be with the Philippians. This is written 10 years after he first met the Philippian church. And now he is in a Roman jail cell. And so because he is in jail, he cannot minister face to face, but what he does is he starts writing letters to the different churches that he had seen planted, and many of those churches he has some corrections. What's interesting is that this is the only church he writes, and there's nothing but good news. There's nothing but good news because the Philippian church, like in contrast to the Corinthians, they were very healthy, the Philippians. And that's what he wants everyone, every church to be like. And he says something in here. He says, I have joy. When I think of you guys, look at verse 4, I pray with joy. I can understand that. When I pray for this body, I want you to know more than once I smile. More than once, I remember things about each and every person here, and I trust that our leaders do the same with this body. You are prayed over, and there is joy in my heart because I get to be the pastor of this church. This is awesome. Paul had that passion there. And in fact, in the book of Philippians, 15 times, Paul is going to say, I have joy with you. You should have joy. Consider it joy. Rejoice. And so joy is throughout this book. But here's one thing that I observe joy comes as a result of obedience. So, my friends, if there's a lack of joy in your life, it would pay to reason that you would simply ask the question, Is there an area? of disobedience that I'm in that would cause a lack of joy. Maybe you've never actually given your life to Christ. That's a great place to start. It's to finally yield completely to Christ. Maybe there's an area that God is saying, I want you to come and conform to who I am. You know what you're doing in private. You know the lustful things that you do. I want you to come into obedience. Maybe God is saying, I want you to love me better. Read my word. Communicate with me. Let's let's be intimate in talking to each other. Maybe there's an area that we just haven't surrendered to. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe there's an area God wants us to serve in. He wants to use our time. He wants to use our talents. He wants to use our treasures. Are you giving to God? If you're not obedient in certain areas, there may be a lack of joy because of that. And what God wants is joyful people. The kind that bubbles up within you. This is what he was talking about with them. Paul here has joy. But notice what he's joyful about. He says in verse 5, He's very specific what gave him joy. He says it was their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now the word partnership can be translated fellowship. It's this idea, you've watched the, the Lord of the Rings series, you've watched the Fellowship of the Ring, and there's this band of individuals that gather together to go get rid of this evil ring and throw it in the fires of Mordor, and so this band of, of people gathered together. I, I may have said something wrong there, so forgive me, but uh, I don't memorize, I'm not a uh, Lord of the Rings geek like some other people might be. Anyways, you get the idea. There's a band of, you band around a cause. But the cause here for this fellowship is the vital mission of the gospel. And that's what Paul commends them for. You guys have been, had a a partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You know what's interesting about how these believers lived out their life? I believe this. And this is true when Christ, Christians were first called Christians in the book of Acts. It happened in in Acts, I believe, Acts 12. See, what happened then and it's happening now with these Philippians is that it was lost people that actually gave them the title Christians. The word Christian means of the party of Christ. And see, what happened is these guys had neighbors that had lived the way, you know, just selfishly, you know, just like anybody without Christ can do. We kind of focus myopically on ourselves. But all of a sudden, the neighbors started seeing a change in, in Jeff and Tom and Sarah and, and, and Betty. And it's like, man, there's something different about these guys. They're listening to me. They're, they, they, they were just over here serving me for no reason at all. I mean, I don't see the reason, but man, it's sure it's, they took notice of it. And what happened was that the lost people eventually said, no, we're going to call you Christians. You're of the party of Christ. My friends, let me ask you when a lost person looks at you, somebody that's far from God, and they witness your life, would they come to the conclusion, oh, you're a party, you're of the party of Christ, you're a follower of Christ? I certainly hope and I believe that to be true within the body. I believe that this is one of the ways in which they were partners in the gospel. See, one of the things I'm concerned about, though, in our world is that many churches have lost this vision for the gospel. Many believers have lost it and have said, you know what, that's where the people with evangelism, the gift of evangelism, it's not for me. It's not for me to share Christ my friends, that's ridiculous. See, living out the love of Christ in our life and living out the gospel should be a natural reflex. It should be a natural reflex of obedience. Just like we naturally breathe, we naturally live out the gospel. That's how it should be in our life. What happens is we love people. And when we love people and we live it out genuinely, it gives opportunity. It gives opportunity to find out their story, for us to share our story, so that we can tell his story. So my question is this, are we committed to sharing his story? Are we committed to living it out? Paul then, in the last section of this idea of the fellowship, says, I am sure of this. Look at verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began, underscore that word began, a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, in saying this about the Philippian church, he says, I want you to know I'm convicted of something. And he uses a verb form in for began that isn't used very often in the scripture. It's given in a perfect tense and this is how it would be literally translated. I want you to know I've come to a conclusion in the past. I still hold that conclusion to be true right now and I am convinced of it in the future. It will always be true that God will complete the work he began in you. Now Paul is saying this because he's in prison. He's not going to see these believers anymore. He's not going to have that influence. There might be some angst there for him, and he has to come to the realize, okay, wait, wait, wait. This is God's church. These are God's people. They're in God's hands, and he will complete the work in them. He meant it as an encouragement for the Philippians. Here's what I want to do for you. I want you to take it as a prayer for your own kids. I can't think of anything that brings more angst than children. Anybody say amen to that? Okay. Children bring angst. Whether they're your own children or whether you're ministering to other people's children. Okay, I know that there are some of you that don't have kids yet, but you work with kids, okay? And you know what it means. But here's what you do, especially if they're your own children. Pray this prayer and believe that he who began a good work will carry it out to completion. Because there's going to be a day you've raised them, they went through toddlerhood, they went to being a preteen, and then they went to being a teen, and those were glorious years. Uh, And then they became a young adult, and now they're out on their own. And while they were under your roof, you had such a great say. You could say you can and you cannot. But now they're they're out and they're not necessarily walking with God. This prayer will be golden for you because you're going to believe that the work when they prayed that little prayer when they gave their life to Christ when they were four or five or six you're praying that there was a seed in there that God will germinate that seed and He will bring it to completion, my friends. This is the the work that God wants to do. And here's what's interesting about this gospel fellowship. You'll start praying that someone else will come into their life. Another believer that will have a voice in their life. And when they do, when somebody does come into their life, you're going to want to kiss that person. You're going to want to hug them. You're going to want to say thank you because you invested into my, my child's life. Thank you. My friends, are we committed to this gospel fellowship? are we on God's team? Let's move on. Paul says there's a gospel defense that you've also been a part of. This gospel fellowship, uh, it goes beyond just being a working together in partnership for the gospel. It goes a little bit deeper. This is what they did. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are partakers of with me of grace. Now, I'll tell you what partakers of grace means in a minute, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. First thing I want you to see is he says, I hold you in my heart. When he says, I hold you in my heart, it's like saying, I love you in a deep kind of way. I don't know if you remember when you were dating or when you had a special friend or there was that person that had an incredible impact in your life and you wrote that note and saying I love you just wasn't enough. And so you say things like, man, I remember when you went out of your way for me. I remember what you did for me. I just so appreciate the fact that you came to the hospital at this such a time of night and you just went out of your way. Man, I hold you dear in my heart. See, this is what Paul is trying to convey. There was a depth of love that went out for these people. But why did he have such a deep love for them? The reason is because they were partakers with him of grace and in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now think about that. Two things here. Number one is that they were invested into Paul. They were invested into the mission. Now when he says partakers of this grace, there's a play on words here because the word grace means unmerited favor, unmerited gift. It wasn't a deserved gift and literally in this sense there was a gift that was departed to Paul from the Philippian church in a financial form. And Epaphroditus, which we'll learn about later in the book, was one who delivered this gift. And so they were so invested that they gave money. You'll know if, if you're invested into something by whether you're willing to give money to it. There's lots of people that'll say, hey, would you join our cause? Would you do this? Would you do that? Would you do... If you believe in it, when you, when you really believe in it, it's when you're going to be willing to write money and say, I'm invested I'm invested. These people were invested in Paul. But not only financially, they were also practically co-workers with him. They were willing to roll up their sleeves and they were willing to work. And notice what he says. He uses an an attorney uh, uh, um, uh, terms here where it says, in regards to representing the gospel, he says, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Defense is on the defensive side. This is where I am willing to defend my faith. But on the offense, I am willing to share the good news of Christ. My friends, I think that this tells us what we need to be as a church. We need to be on the offense and the defense. We need to know our faith. Friends, I don't believe we should just allow this to sit on our, our, on our bookshelf. We are to know Christ, but it's not just a cerebral activity. Please understand that you can defend your faith by sharing what you know. In John 9, a guy who just met Jesus, when he was told to tell him why he believed in this guy, he says, listen, this is one thing I know. I was blind before, but now I see. That's it. That was his testimony. That was his defense. We need to be able to defend and know better. But guys, we need to be able to share the gospel. Some people would say, well, what is the gospel? What is the gospel message? What is the good news? Well, I would take you, and this would be a very uh, simple summary, I would take you to Christ. Christ said this in Mark chapter 1. This is when he began his ministry. It says, Jesus came proclaiming the what? The gospel of God. And and this is what he said. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, Jesus summarized the gospel in two words. Repent, believe. If you want to understand how you can give the gospel out to somebody else, understand, first of all, that people need to understand repentance. Repentance is, I'm going the wrong way in life. I need to turn around because of my sin. Because of my sin affects my relationship and my standing with a holy God. I need to be able to help people understand the need for repentance. My friends, a lot of people in the world have the second part of the equation where they believe. They believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but they've never come to the place of repentance. If you want to understand how to give the gospel, understand repentance, understand, believe, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Are we ready to defend and share our faith? Now we conclude our passage today with this prayer. It's a gospel prayer that Paul gives... In verses 8 through 11. Now I want you to just listen to this prayer and then we'll break it down. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. See the deep love? And it is my prayer. This is what his prayer is. Number one, that your love may abound more and more. That with, and you are to do that with knowledge and discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Now as we break this down there are seven elements of this prayer. And I want to challenge every one of you that have someone behind you and someone that's around you in your influence, that you would pray this prayer for them. Maybe you as a parent would pray this for your children. It's an incredible prayer once you understand what the prayer is about. Number one is foundational. He says, I pray that your love would abound more and more. It means to overflow the cup. That you would just be oozing with love. Now, Friends, that's the foundation to all Christianity and to our witness, right? What did Jesus say? By this, they will know that you are my disciples by the what? By the love that you have for one another. My friends, it might start with just being a loving person. If you're a grump all the time, then that's where you got to start. Okay, because grumpy people is going to be really hard to share Christ. Because no one's going to believe it because they don't think you believe it. You have to show it in your life in the way that we love people. But my friends, we can love people all the way to hell. We can love them all the way to hell. That's why the prayer doesn't stop there. He says that your love may abound uh, more and more in knowledge. Now I want you to think about that. Love is anchored in knowledge. It's anchored in the truth of God's word. This is what makes us different than a cult. Do you understand that Jehovah Witnesses are incredibly loving? That's why they are a growing community. They, when they love effectively, they grow. Because people are looking to be loved and accepted. And when they are, then they become indoctrinated in things that are not true. That don't go with the scriptures. But what he says is make sure it's done in knowledge. We want to raise our kids with love, but with the knowledge of God. That's why we need to understand what the Word of God is saying. And then he says, in knowledge and discernment. So he adds layers. Here's love, here's knowledge, and now we have to have discernment. Now the word discernment is the ability to see what is right and what is wrong and to clearly identify that now that might sound simplistic but think about it in our world it is so difficult when you talk to people to for them to understand what is right and what is wrong we have to teach our kids an upcoming generation to be able to discern right and wrong but here's one of the things that we do in parenting and it's something that's been done in the past in a church and we're not going to do it here yeah i uh, how many of you have been in a legalistic church somewhere along the line okay a good handful of people now if you've ever been in a legalistic church what's going to happen whether it's written rules or just kind of known in the congregation there are certain things you should never do you don't go to dances you don't you never drink alcohol. You don't go to Rated R movies. And you got a list that goes on and on and on of all the things you cannot do. Now you can come to church every day when it's open. You can put your offering in the offering plate. And so we got a, a bunch of cans as well. Well, do you realize as parents, it sets sometimes what we do in our parenting, this is what you will do, this is what you won't do. Well, we haven't taught them anything other than legalism. We haven't taught them to think. Now here's what I know in a legalistic church because I've counseled behind closed doors. I've counseled with people that have come out of that and what's really happening is they're putting an outward front and they're doing what they want because they don't understand what's right and wrong. Our job is to teach our kids to discern, to learn what it means. If you want them to understand what the quality of a movie is that you want them to watch, have them look it up on Focus on the Family, read about it, and say, "Now tell me what you think about that. Use it as a teaching opportunity. That's what we are to do in life. That's what we are to do as a church. And my friends, I'm not going to tell you what movies to go see. I'm not going to tell you uh, that you can't have a glass of wine. I'm not going to tell you you can't do these things. But I am going to tell you, you better think about the scriptures. Are you doing things in moderation? Are you doing things in the way that would bring honor to God? And what does your heart say? James says, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. We needed to be a church of conviction. Why? Because we're building on something. The prayer is that we would have love, that we would have knowledge, that we would discern. And then it says that we would approve what is excellent. Now the idea of approving was used of, the word was used of an assayer, of seeing if money was genuine. And the word for excellent was showing that something uh, speaks to the idea of priorities, that something was worth our time. And so putting it together, what Paul is saying in our gospel witness and his prayer for the church is that we would test that which is truly important for us to be invested into. See, this speaks to our priorities. Church, we know it. We get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent every day, don't we? We got the kids' ballet lessons. We got then soccer lessons. And then we got gymnastics. And then we got, and a lot of it centers around our kids. Do you understand as a parent, you can say, we're only going to do one thing at a time. (laughs) I got to get the trophy. Everyone gets it. You don't want that. What we can do is help our kids understand what priorities are. What do we say to our kids when church becomes, we can go once a month? I'm not trying to rail on anybody, but it does speak to our priorities. We teach with our life. We teach with our life. And so what Paul is saying is, I'm praying that they would have love that they would have this knowledge, that they would be able to discern, that they would invest into what is excellent. And guess what will follow that? What will follow that is that they will be pure and blameless. Now, the beauty of this word pure means to be genuine. It means to be sincere. It was actually used of those that made pottery, There were two types of pottery deals uh, or dealers in that day. There were the cheap kind and there was the expensive kind. And then there was the guys that were cheap that tried to pan it off as expensive. And so you knew a cheap pot because it had cracks in it. But what they would do to hide it is they would put wax in the crack, they would glaze over it, paint it, and then present it as the authentic thing and give a high price for it. And so what happened in that day is if it was without wax, they would put the word sincere on the bottom of it, meaning without wax. And so somebody could hold it up to the light and see that there are no cracks, no flaws in that. Now that's not saying in making this analogy that we are to be a people that are without flaws whatsoever because we are flawed people. But what it is saying is that we are striving to be pure, that we are striving to be a blameless people. And then when we are flawed, we're authentic about it. A couple weeks ago, my wife shared a little bit about just some of the things that we're going through. I told her, I said, honey, I just want you to be you. I want you to be real. And I had so many people come up and say, man, that was raw. That was authentic. That's the way we're to be. We're not to hide behind masks. If it's a crappy day, then let people know it's been a crappy day. Authentic. He says in number the sixth thing that we're to have is a fruit of righteousness. This is beautiful. He says that you would be filled, that you would be bubbling up with this fruit of righteousness. Now let me ask you, where does the fruit of righteousness come and what is it? See, the fruit is of what is right. So what God wants is the fruit of right things in our life. What's interesting in the book of Galatians, Paul spelled it out for us. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit of God, this isn't something that you can do. This is something that the Spirit of God can do and bubble up within you is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's gentleness, it's self-control, it's patience. See, these are the fruits of the Spirit of God that he wants to bubble up with inside of us. And my friends, these things really make a difference in our gospel witness when you have people that don't know love, that don't know joy, that don't know peace, that don't know self-control. Do you see how much of a contrast we are with a lost world? And then finally, his prayer is that we love, we have knowledge, we are discerning, We choose the priorities of excellence. We value purity and blamelessness in our life. That the fruit of the spirit of righteousness is bubbling up in our life. And ultimately we're giving all glory and praise to God. Because he's the one worthy of praise. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said in Matthew 5, he said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and give praise to our Father in heaven. Now, you might think as a pastor that I am out sharing the gospel every single day in terms of sealing the deal. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the multitudes of people that Pastor Steve is leading to Christ every day, that I'm sharing about repentance. I'm sharing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that happens every single day, right? No. No. But I'll tell you what does happen every single day. I get off my pillow. I say, God, help me to be the witness that I need to be. And when I get a chance to have a conversation with my neighbor and maybe take them one step closer and to be able to give glory to God for what he's doing in my life, in my wife's life. If I'm able to meet the person at Taco Bell with a smile and not be this grumpy person and say, you know, Angie, how are you doing today? And then she sits back as, as like, I don't know what to do with that. Uh, You want number one, two, three, four, or five? Help me. No, Anne Cersei, how are you doing? Wow, no one asked me. I'm doing fine. Thank you. What can I do for you? In every rhythm of our life, we're trying to give God praise. And you know what? Once in a while, God gives you that opportunity to actually share your story about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and how he made an impact in your life. There's a guy named Nick Volchek. Nick Volchek was born without any limbs. Now, most people would say if there's a reason for a person just to cry out and curse God, it's when you are born without any arms and that you're not born without any legs and you just have this little stub for a foot. But Nick Volcek hasn't taken that view in life. In fact, he's taken just the opposite view, that God has fearfully and wonderfully created him. And Nick has had this mindset that nothing is going to stop me. And so Nick stands. He can actually walk. He can actually swim. He's gone skydiving with some assistance. Um, he's become a husband He has become a father. And most importantly, he is a servant of the Lord. And he goes around the globe sharing in school assemblies and at churches about how God has fearfully and wonderfully created us. And then he weaves in how God died for our sins. He bled on a cross. He was buried and rose again. He interweaves the gospel within this. What I find out, what I find about Nick that's so amazing is that his witness isn't powerful because he has no limbs. His witness is powerful because he believes himself to be an ambassador of the greatest good news that we could ever have. And my challenge this morning, as I'm closing in prayer, and I'm going to, in a sense, take the prayer that Paul prayed, and I'm going to pray it for us. And if you pray it with me, it's, in a sense, our, our altar call of commitment, saying, God, I will be your ambassador. I will be committed to the gospel. I will be committed to living it out for your glory. Would you stand with me and pray this prayer if you believe it? Lord Jesus Christ, we pray as a Mission View Church that your love will overflow in each of our lives abundantly. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be anchored to truth in our life. And that we would be able to discern what is right and what is wrong so that we can approve the things that are excellent. Help us to have those excellent priorities and one of those priorities being your ambassador. Help us to live authentic lives. Help us to not live with false pretense. Please mold us to be like Christ so that we can show Your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness. Help us to live out those attributes in our lives. And more. most importantly, God, we want to bring you glory and we want to bring you praise in being the gospel witness that you desire us to be. Help us to see ourselves as your ambassador to this world.